0: Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to go- to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near.
1: Good morning, Covenant Church family. So good to be with you guys this morning. I hope you feel refreshed with your extra hour of sleep and with the chilly weather, you're energized. Because buckle buckle up, we're going to jump right into Hebrews and look at what God has for us this morning. Now, some of you guys who know me well know that I love to fish. Grew up in Florida and I love to fish. And what you may not know, living here, right here in Palm Bay, we are a stone's throw away from one of the very best fishing spots in all of Florida. And that place is called Sebastian Inlet. Sebastian Inlet. And there's actually a particular secret spot. It's not so secret because of all the boats and all of the fishermen at the pier. But at the tip of the north jetty, it's, it's, a, it's a hidden jewel. If, you, if you've looked at some of the videos on YouTube of what it looks like underwater there, there's just tons of fish and sea life and manatees and they've got grouper the size of Volkswagen bugs uh, just roaming around underneath there. So it's a, it's a wonderful place to fish, but it's a difficult place to fish. Uh, and that's because of the current and that's because of the wind and all of the other boats. Well, I've fished that spot for about 15 years and I've done it this way. Uh, in order to fish it well, you've got to put yourself in the right position and order to do that, I've used an anchor. And um, if you know anything about what happens at Sebastian in a, with the current, it's a very difficult proposition to anchor in current. And what you basically gotta do is say, I wanna be at this spot, because this is the magic spot, but in order to be right here, I've gotta put my anchor out way over there and drift back. And so it's kind of imprecise. We've done it for years. We've not bumped into other boats. We've not sunk or whatnot. Uh, But this past year, we did something brand new. We upgraded our boat. We got a new trolling motor. And if you don't know what a trolling motor is, it's a little electric motor that sits on the front of your boat that allows you to to fish kind of quietly, not using your big motor. But this trolling motor has something unique. It has GPS technology. (laughs) Yeah. So what did it allow? I remember the very first time Debbie and I went to the the tip of the North jetty. Instead of all of this calculating and figuring out, you know, throw the anchor, do all this, we went right up to the magic spot. I pulled out a remote control and I hit the magic button and boom, the, the electric motor took over and was talking to the satellites in space and was navigating and just keeping us right there. And because of this new technology, I'm never gonna go back to using an anchor, no way, no way. But, so you guys may not be fishermen, but you do know about these things, right? Cell phones, GPS technology. Um, GPS has forever changed the way that, that we navigate. I mean, who here still would admit that they pull out their maps and they say, you know, we're going on a trip, I'm going to go take 95 to 528 to 75, I'm going to go around Atlanta this way. Uh, You don't do that. You punch it into your phone, it tells you exactly what time you're going to get there, it plots your way around the traffic, and it even gives you a heads up when there's speed traps ahead, right? So you're not going to go back to using those old maps. Well, in a very similar way, Jesus has made obsolete our old way of living and relating to God, and he has given us a new and a better way. So we're not going to go back to the old way of living, and we're going to unpack this idea in our passage today by looking at two gospel truths and three applications. And I want you to be able to see that these are going to come exactly from the text, and you're going to see it this way the gospel truths are going to come by this word since. You're going to see the word since, and you're going to see it in verses 19 and in 21. And then the gospel applications are going to be set off by these words, let us, let us, and you'll see that in verses 22, 23, and 24. And in fact, if you've read the book of Hebrews, this is gonna be a familiar refrain that you've heard over and over from the author. He says it about 12 times. And he does it to set off the idea that here is some application. I've given you a lot of truth, now here is the application. And I wanna just pause for a moment and talk about this pattern that we, that we see of truth followed by application. We see this often in the New Testament writers, okay? And why is this important? It's important for us to ground ourselves in the truth because if we do so, we will apply it correctly and we'll be motivated by it correctly. Now, if you remember, Jerry mentioned a couple of weeks ago the misapplication of the use of tongues. And so this is what I'm talking about. We have to understand truth correctly in order to end up applying it correctly in our lives. In other words, truth is meant to transform our lives. It's meant to actually do something, okay? Um, professor at RTS Emeritus, uh, John Frame, he's a theologian. He's wrote, written some huge thick books. And I'm gonna paraphrase how he puts it. He says, you don't really know your theology unless you know its application. And think about that for a moment. We don't just stop at the truth. We have to take it to application. We have to take it to our, our life. And so what does it say about us if our life is not being transformed by the very truth that we're taking in? Okay. So let's jump in now and look at these gospel truths. The first one you're going to see in verses 19 through 20. And it is this, that Christ gives us radically new access to God. And let me read those verses again. Therefore, brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Christ has made a new way. He has made a new way. So it's good for us to pause and just ask the question, well, what was the old way? What was access like to God before Christ came? And it was primarily through this, through the institution of the priesthood, and at the location of the temple, okay? So kind of limited. And to give you even more of a picture, at the temple, there's a place called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies. This special place was actually really the presence of God. It represented the presence of God, and it was separated by, from everything else by a curtain or a veil. Okay, so access to God was limited. You know, the people couldn't just go behind the veil and, and, and be in the presence of God. Something that we take for granted. Only one person, one time a year, could go behind the veil, and that was the high priest. So get this idea that in the old, under the old covenant, access to God was very limited. And now, what, now how did it feel? What was the quality of this access? Well, I want you to put yourself in the place of that high priest. Maybe, you know, think in your mind, you know, you were, you were descending from priests, and you were appointed to do this work once a year to go into that most holy place on behalf of the people. How would you have felt getting ready to go behind the veil? I'm thinking that I would be in fear. Because if you've read anything about the Old Covenant... Those priests, they had to get ready. They had to prepare their heart. They had to prepare their bodies. They had to wash their bodies. They had to prepare their clothing. They had to prepare the sacrifice. They had to make sure that they did everything as God had commanded. And I know if I was, if I was in his shoes, I would be thinking through that checklist before I went behind the veil, did I get it all right? Is, is the offering that I'm bringing really without blemish? Did I miss a blemish? And I would be fearing for my life going In the presence of God and what about the people Uh, we get a glimpse of this um, if we if we back up in redemptive history before the tabernacle and before the temple uh, God met the people at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and that scripture there describes that account like this the camp trembled the camp trembled and why did they tremble Because God was coming down on the mountain. And what did it look like? The scripture describes it this way. There was thunder. There was lightning. There was fire. There was thick smoke. There was the blaring of a trumpet. And everybody was shaking in their boots as God was coming down on the mountain. And so their approach to God was limited. Their access to God was limited. In their hearts, they were fearful. But we have something different in Christ. We have free access to God through Christ and we have confidence instead of fear and trembling. But how do we get that? How do we get that? Scripture if you look at that those verses scripture says it's through the curtain that is through his flesh. Now this is this is fascinating to think about. The word of God is 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 drawing your attention and making this parallel between the veil, the curtain that separated the presence of God, there, He's making that, that parallel between the, the veil and the body of Jesus. Okay? Now think with me for a moment about that veil that's that was in the Holy of Holies. This is a veil, it's a curtain on one side is the presence of God. One side is deity, one side is divinity, on the other side is all of humanity brought together in the curtain. And we have this in Jesus. Deity and humanity brought together in the body of Jesus. That's what the incarnation is all about. And so scripture is saying, how do we get this confident, free access to God? It's through the body of Jesus. Now, hear this account in Matthew 27. This this scripture that I'm bringing to you is an account of what happened when Jesus was crucified on the cross. Listen to this. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple, it was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. So when Jesus died on Calvary... God tore the veil. He tore that that veil that separated the presence of him from the rest of the world. And he was showing that access was now available. And how? It's through the body of Jesus. God tore Jesus from top to bottom. He tore him from top to bottom at Calvary when the the crown of thorns was pressed on his head, when his hands and feet were nailed to the cross and he was bleeding, when the spear was thrust into his side, when he was flogged, and when he was scourged, he bled and died. He was torn. His flesh was torn just like the veil so that we can have this access to God. And it's a wonderful thing. And now... Church, we have this radical access. But note this, the scripture says, by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. It's only by Christ alone that we have this wonderful access to God. Well, the second gospel truth I want to unpack for you is found here in verse 21, and it says this, and since we have a great priest, over the house of God. The truth is this, that, God, that, that Christ stands as our ultimate personal agent. Our ultimate personal agent. And I use that word intentionally because I want you guys to fully understand what it means for Christ to be our great high priest. Now, if you are a golfer or if you pay attention to golf for any amount of time, I know that we've got some here that do that, you may have heard the name Mark Steinberg. Has anybody ever heard that name before? before? Okay, but maybe not, some people. But you may not know Mark Steinberg's name, but you probably know his most famous client. His most famous client is Tiger Woods. And what is Mark Steinberg to to Tiger Woods? He is Tiger Woods' personal agent. What does that mean? Means he is advocating on Tiger's behalf. He is mediating between clients and Tiger, He's interceding for Tiger. He is seeking out the very best and the very most for Tiger. Okay? That's kind of what we have, in a, in, a, in a way, with Jesus as our ultimate personal agent, our high priest standing before God. Now, let me give you three ways that Jesus is our ultimate personal agent. Now, if you want more, there's many more. Just go back to the prior uh, four or five chapters, and you'll see all the ways that he is. But let me give you three to think about. First, he has put away our sin forever by one sacrifice of himself. He's put away our sin by the sacrifice of himself, okay? Now, Mark Steinberg, I'm sure he's a great guy. But how far is he going to go to advance Tiger Woods' cause How far is he going to go to benefit Tiger Woods? He's certainly not going to lay down his life for Tiger. But we have in Jesus one who goes before us with his blood and he lays down his life for our benefit. Okay? Secondly, Jesus, he is before God in his presence continually. And if you think back, well, the high priest, he was only there once per year. But we have in Jesus someone in the presence of God all of the time, and he's pleading on our behalf. And then thirdly, the third way that he is ultimate is that he knows us better than we even know ourselves. Let me read to you the scripture in Hebrews chapter 4. I'm a little bit behind here. Here we go. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. You see, Jesus, when he came in the incarnation, he walked the very road that we walked. He experienced the temptations that we experienced. He experienced all of the brokenness of this world that we experience. So he knows us through and through. Now, unlike Mark Steinberg, Right. Unlike Mark Steinberg, consider this. Mark goes to Tiger and he says, Tiger, I've been up night and day and I've been working on this deal for you. I have got the perfect client for you. This client, their name is Xlax. It's supposed to be funny. And t- <laughs> well, it's not funny to Tiger, right? He's saying, what? Mark, you don't really know who I am. You don't know the type of person I'm trying to project, the image I'm trying to project, right? We don't have this type of representative in Christ. We have as our representative someone who has gone before us, someone who knows us through and through all of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of the sadness, and the loss of hope. He knows all of that, and he is our ultimate personal agent. This is what we have in Christ he is working all things for our good and he's ensuring our personal success by being there at the right hand of the Father. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean that he's going to get us the ultimate deal in terms of sponsorships and money, but he's ensuring our ultimate personal success spiritually, spiritually. You see, this is, there's, there's a great truth in this. Tiger Woods... In order to get to get these great deals and whatnot what does he have to do he actually has to do something he has to perform he has to win uh, tournaments he has to win championships he has got to win majors he's got to do his part but in Christ our ultimate high priest our ultimate personal agent we don't have to perform because he performed for us he went before us and did what we could not do and it's a wonderful thing. Well, the gospel applications are going to flow directly from this, these gospel truths, okay? Here's the first one. Draw near to God. And we see this, like I said, by those words, let us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And for those of you who are here this morning, who are seeking to know more about Christ, you're you're trying to draw closer to God, and maybe you don't know all about this thing, uh, this church and Christianity, but you want to know more. You're honestly here seeking. This is great news. The Scripture is here encouraging you in this way. It's encouraging you to draw near, draw near to Him. Draw near to God, how? Through Christ. Why? Because He has gone before you with His blood, and His blood covers your sins, and because of that, you are forgiven. Now, when I talk about sin, I want to make sure that we all understand that we all have this sin problem. We all have this sin disease, and the Bible defines it this way. You know, sin is the violation of God's law. And Jesus, in Matthew 22, he sums up the law in a very simple way for us to understand it. Jesus says this, this is the law in all of its summary. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbors as yourself. This is what we're to do, but we can't do it. All of us have broken this. That first part of the the commandment is to love God with every fiber of your being. That's kind of my translation. Every fiber of your being, all of your affection set on God. And which of us here does that? We give our affection to other things and we place those things above our affection for God. And how about loving our neighbors as ourselves? We spend a lot of time and energy and thought and resources and money on ourselves. Are we doing the same thing for our neighbors? And if we're honest, all of us, every single one of us, including myself, we stand before God and we say, no, we haven't done this. And that's what sin is. We all have this sin problem. We all have this sin disease. And what is the cure? How do we get rid of this? And Scripture is saying, draw near to God in Christ by having faith in Christ. And the author of the Hebrews says it this way in chapter 7. He says, he, being Christ, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And so, if you don't know Christ this morning, this is what you're to do. Draw near to God through Christ, placing your faith in Christ. Now, those verses that we looked at in uh, verse 22, those words, there's some words there that make you think like there's things I've got to do. I've got to have a a true heart. I've got to have my heart sprinkled clean. I've got to have my body washed clean. Here's the good news, the great news. You can't do that yourself. We We can't clean up ourselves to make ourselves acceptable to God. This is something that's done for you when you have faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and washes you clean and applies the work of Christ to your life and cleanses you. He cleanses your heart. He cleanses your body. He makes you able to stand and be in God's presence, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done. Now, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, I don't want to assume that you're all drawing near to God through Christ. Um, There are times, there are seasons I know that we that we stand far off. And it could be because we're angry at God. It could be because we're fearful because of things that we've done. It could be because of shame. You know, we're, we're ashamed of what we've done. It could be because uh, we're hurting in a certain way. Or it could be because we're just simply being lazy. And scripture here is encouraging us to draw near. Don't stand far off. I'm gonna go back to this, uh, this idea of personal agent and talk about Mike, Mark Steinberg. So, pay, suppose Mark goes to Tiger and says, I've been working at it again. Forget Xlax. We're, we're moving on to something better. I've been talking with Elon Musk and Elon has got the deal for you now. He's got you know as many electric cars as you want for you and your family and your friends for life. And to top it off, something even better. You can have as many free rides into space, right? Imagine that. All of these wonderful benefits. Um, but Tiger is opting out out of fear or shame or anger. He's angry. He doesn't like Elon Musk. He doesn't like that guy. It uh, doesn't make sense. This, God has teed it up for us in Christ Jesus, but many of those who are followers of Christ are living impoverished lives, They're standing far off away from God for various reasons. But I want you to realize this about our Heavenly Father, that He, He is our Father. He is a good Father. He is a great Father. And as a great Father, He loves to give good gifts. He longs to hear from you. Do you realize this, that God in heaven, He longs to hear from you? How can you stand far? He's, he's waiting just to hear from his child. He's waiting to bless with good gifts. He delights in you. He, he rejoices over you loudly with singing. That's what Zephaniah 3 says. This is the type of father we have. And can you imagine a child, if they have a father like that, standing at a distance and saying, you know, I don't want to run to my father. But this is the type of father we have. And so we should run into his everlasting arms. And stop living as beggars, as abandoned people, but we are in the family of God. Don't stand at a distance. And how can we do this? The scripture says that we should have full assurance. And in Hebrews chapter 4, he uses the word confidence. You should have confidence when you go to the throne of grace. And why? It's, it's, It's because of Jesus and what he has done. And so, church, we should feel 100% welcome in the presence of God. 100% welcome. You know, you're, you're getting discouraged with your shame and your fear and your anger and whatnot. Set that aside. He longs to bring you in, so draw near to him. Well, the second application is found in verse 23. It's this, to draw near in hope. Draw near in a confident hope. Verse 23 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, why is the why is the author of Hebrews encouraging his audience to draw near in hope? Why might that be? Well, if we if we've read the book, we'll get some insights. Uh, in chapter two, we learn this about the the audience. They had the propensity to forget the truth, and they had the propensity to drift away from The truth of the gospel, and when we do that, of course, we're going to start to get discouraged. We're going to start to place our hope in other things. And so they had that going on for them. And this is another thing they had going on for them in chapter ten. If you look a little bit down in verses thirty-two through thirty-four, you'll see this. You'll see that this original audience, they were going through some very difficult times. They were they were undergoing persecution like no other. They were being reproached in the public square. They had their property, it says, being confiscated. They were being thrown in jail. I'm sure they were fearing for their lives. And they probably wondered. They were probably sitting there in their circumstances saying, you know, is Jesus really all that the Scripture says He is? Is He really there at the right hand of the Father pleading and advocating and mediating on my behalf? Because it sure doesn't look like it, from where I'm standing with all the persecution. They could lose hope in that way. They could be thinking, man, I don't, maybe I don't really have this free access to God. Maybe, it, maybe I've lost all of this confidence. Well, we too, church, we can do the same thing. We can, we can take our eyes and drift off of the truth. And when we drift off of the truth, we can start believing the lies. Lies like this. You know, I can't come before God because I've done some things. I'm not welcome in his presence. And you start to believe those sorts of things, what's going to happen? You're going to lose hope. Why? Because your hope is being placed on yourself. Or maybe you're looking at your circumstances and you're looking and you're saying, man, God is, God's not, Jesus is not pleading for me. I mean, how could he be? Don't you see what I'm going through? Is he really at the right hand of the Father? We can lose hope in this way. We could also lose hope, you know, maybe some of us are not going through the the type of persecution uh, that that original audience was going through by, you know, confiscation of property and facing death. But surely all you have to do is turn on the evening news and and you can quickly lose hope if your hope is not rooted in Christ, right? Um, I'm reminded of uh, the past couple of months, just some of these stories of, you know, the young ladies who were murdered, and you, and you you get involved in those stories and you see what's happening, and you can lose hope. Is Jesus really there? Or what about this? The Haitian uh, missionaries? How about that story? You know, 17 of them. I mean, there were children. There's, there was even a, a baby, right? Eight-month-year-old baby, and you you see that evil prosper and you can lose hope. Or how about this? Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've, you, you're grieving over the loss of a loved one, and you can question hope. You can question whether, is, is Jesus really there advocating for me? Because it doesn't really look like that's happening right here. How can we have hope? How can we have hope when we face circumstances like this? Well, our, our scripture before us gives us that answer, for he who promised is faithful. You see, brothers and sisters, our hope, it doesn't rest on our circumstances. It doesn't rest on our own performance. It rests on the character of God, it rests on the fact that God is faithful and he's gonna do 100% of what he's promised. This is, a, this is super, super important to, to understand God does what he says he's going to do. And if he says that he's making all things new through Jesus Christ, he's going to restore everything, guess what? It's going to come to pass. And if, and, if, and if he says that I'm working in your life, you know, working everything towards good, and for God's glory, guess what? That's going to come to pass. And if he says, I see all of this evil I see all of this injustice, and it's not going to go unnoticed. It's going to be taken into account for. It's going to be judged. Guess what? It's going to come to pass. He's the God who says, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and there will no longer be any death. And so guess what? It's going to come to pass. 100%. 100%. So whatever you're facing this morning, whatever trial you may f- be facing, discouraged, losing hope, wondering if Jesus is there, look at this. The character of God assures that, it's, that he will take care of you, that he's working things out for your good, that you will be successful because it rests on God himself. Well, the third application of our truths is this. Draw near to each other. Draw near to each other in this way by provoking and encouraging one another to live the gospel. And we see this in verses 24 and 25. Let me read it. And let us, there's those words again, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stir up. That word in the Greek, paroxysmon, is an unusual word. It's unusual just to say it, um, but it only occurs one other place in the New Testament, and that's in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, there's, this is the account of the start of the second missionary journey, and this is the account where Paul and Barnabas, they go their own way. They have a sharp disagreement, and that's the word that's being used here, sharp disagreement. Um, So it has this idea of friction, maybe even irritation, some of the commentators say. And so you may walk away saying, oh, I can irritate uh, my friend to love and good works. Um, And you're anxious to do that. Uh, But hold on, hold on. (laughs) Don't take it too far. Um, I actually like how the NIV puts it. The NIV uses the word spur. Some of you guys might remember that, Spur. Okay, spurs is a great word. I mean, it, it brings to mind like the cowboy with the horse, right? And so what cowboy jumps onto their beloved horse and just rams the spurs into the horse every single time? No, they don't do that, right? They, they, they consider the situation. Uh, sometimes it's just a touch. And sometimes it's more of a, of, of a nudge. And yes, sometimes... The horse is, you know, hung up, you know, eating apples or something, you know, we've got to go. Um, But scripture says, consider, consider, okay? So that should put the brakes on us. That word consider is an other-centered word. It means I'm thinking about the other person. I'm giving thought to how they can grow in their faith. I'm giving thought to how they may love better. I'm giving thought to how they may do good works, actually. And so... You have to use discernment. The scripture also says to be encouraging one to another. Being encouraging to one another. So we are to encourage and we're to spur. And we're to use discernment in how we do that. Okay. Now, scripture is saying don't neglect being together. Because guess what? We can't do this work of biblical community of encouraging and spurring one another on without being together and I'm going to take you back to thinking about uh, the original audience here uh, remember they're going through persecution uh, they're getting killed there's some there's some who believe that this uh, was in the time of Nero right and so you know that Nero I mean you know burned at the stake thrown to the lions that sort of thing so you may have in, in them some reason to to shrink back from meeting together right it's at great cost maybe the cost of your life. And it reminds me of uh, our, our brothers and sisters in China, our brothers and sisters in places like, uh, some places in Africa or some places in the Middle East. You know, they are meeting at great cost. There are consequences to their meeting together. And so I have to ask you, church, we are not in the same situation but we have this sad statistic here in the church in America that half of the churchgoers only go half of the time or less. What is going on with the church in America? Scripture is, is calling us out here. Scripture is encouraging us, draw near to God, draw near to each other. Don't neglect, as is the habit of some, the meeting together. Well, church 2,000 years ago, Jesus died a cruel death on the cross. He bled. He died. And that truth, it should change the way we live. That truth should transform us. And so my hope this morning is that you do, that you do draw near to him, that you drew draw near in a confident hope, and that you do draw near to each other, spurring one another on in the faith. Would you pray with me? Lord God Almighty, our gracious Heavenly Father, we have this great privilege, this way that has been made for us, as we sung about earlier. Jesus is the great way maker in that He went before us with His blood. He purchased for us our salvation, He did for us what we could not do for ourselves offering himself a fully acceptable sacrifice for our sins. And this is all of grace, and we have nothing to do with it, but we can only receive the grace that you have made for us. And so we pray this morning, believer or unbeliever alike, Lord, help us with your spirit to draw near to this grace that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.